Um, it was just the framework. It, it may be that I'm used to uh, listening to a good, clear framework. Yes. But I think that that is important, um, for, well, for us all. Yes. That what we give is presented in such a way that it does, um, it's got pegs to hang on in people's minds. I think that's mm. awfully important. I think there are a few people uh, who can just take up, say, a passage and, and go through it, yeah. drawing out lessons. Mm. And it is a real gift with them. Mm. If we have not got that gift, I think it's important to be able uh, to leave certain clear impressions mm. in people's minds of the, of the points we've given, yes. of, the, of the chief matters yes. in what I'm saying. Can you ask, Fred, were there three points, or any number of points, or were you just going through? Well, I thought it Yes. Well, now there I think is a good example of the need, obviously, of time when a message comes to you uh, uh, to be able a to condense it into one sentence so that you know exactly what you're saying, and then to get clear uh, headings, and not necessarily that we might have them, but because it gives such a, a so much greater clarity to what you have got to say. However, I feel it was very good, it was very yeah. original, yeah. Um, but I, I, I would have personally preferred a little more introduction. Can everyone take this in, uh, uh, in you know, in? Because if we speak, um, we, uh, let me put it this way, very rarely can you launch into what you're saying without in a, a clear introduction. You can just now and again, you can dispense with an introduction altogether and leap straight into your into the message. But generally speaking, an introduction is very important, or people are left at sea from the beginning. And they may get some wonderful thoughts, but you need to explain. And you see, I think that if you had, for instance, been able just to say to us, um, that you believe that you that this is a picture of the family of God and that we have here uh, one or two lessons we can learn about the family of God uh, or, I'd, or uh, we have here a picture of the human family and some of the lessons that we can learn here <clears throat> are applicable to our families and to say how important the family is you see what I mean? that the, the family is really important uh, and a few words there could introduce them this parable, and we would get it more clearly. Anything else anyone would like to say? <coughs> I did wonder a little bit if one possibly knows that the little shopping book was One other thing that distracted me, I was a bit nervous for you at the beginning, was your, your Bible was sort of swaying with your notes <laughs> in it like that. And, uh, you know, I, I really felt that they were going to go any moment. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I kind of feel I'm stepped back a lot. I was all wondering where he was going. Yes. Well, that could be, you see, he was going through um, uh, the passage rather than actually um, having definite uh, uh, headings. It's one point. <coughs> matter of sartorial elegance. I noticed that Fred's tie was outside the jacket. The jacket opened and a pocket half in and half out. 
Yeah, but you spoke with your sleeves rolled yeah, yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. I'm sorry. Yes. What was that? Pence. Yeah. Pence. Yeah. Pence. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh yes. Now, now then, you must watch that kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Can we move on to our next uh, Ken? It needs to, but uh, I've got to find my notes. Now I want to speak from uh, Psalm 46. And it's all to do with the river of God. A nice refreshing subject for an evening like this. We'll start at verse 4. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. This river of God is a wonderful picture of the life of God connecting the Father to the child of God. And you and I as believers have this wonderful resource in the midst of all that is dry and arid. We have contact with God himself. And it's wonderful to know this quickening of the life of God in our circumstances which can be very far from cheerful. The thing that Ezekiel pictures is a, is a river coming from the threshold of the temple and this river has a wonderful effect upon those who come into contact with it. It pictures these waters as they come through the river that trees spring up on either side. As the river proceeds, it gets down to the sea and there it heals those waters. How wonderful. And then everything that liveth which moveth whithersoever the river shall come, shall live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish. Well, that is what God is like. It's not only what we see of his wonderful works, but what he is within. There's activity in God, tremendous activity, and it's this which the world cannot see, but which the believer knows is going on within him. As Paul said, that which worketh in me mightily, and that is God at work. Well, the thing that is the purpose of this river is really that God might have a harvest out of this world. And you know, it says in Psalm 64, verse 5, the river of God is full of water, Thou preparest them corn 
when thou hadst so provided it. And you know, this river is to produce a harvest. And you know, the thing that has encouraged me, I was reading a book just recently by David Duplessis, and the thing that interested me was that he says there that you need chaff for there to be wheat. And you know, so often we want all that is the wheat. And God wants the wheat. But the chaff is also necessary. And you know, it says first that which is natural and after that which is spiritual. And the encouraging thing to me is that God uses the chaff in our lives to bring forth the wheat. And so the things that we pass through, the things that get us down, God can use to bring forth wheat. And you know, I thought of those examples such as Moses, 20 years in the backside of the wilderness. He must have thought that the river of God had dried up or there was every indication that there was not much water flowing. But God used that in Moses to get wheat in him. And you know, the encouraging thing is that so many of the things that happen to us, God can use in the end to bring forth wheat to his glory. So let us be encouraged by the fact that God, although we, these things, we don't always see what God is doing, yet the, the river's still there. There's plenty of water in it, and God is using it. And as we respond to the life of God, God can use these very things to bring forth wheat. The encouraging verse is, all things work together for good. To them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So let us be encouraged by the fact that there is a river which flows from the heart of God. And as we, by faith, take hold of God's word and the fact that that river is flowing, we shall not be moved. Praise his name. What can we say? Yes. Yes, you are, Ken. You're a very nervous person. Um, uh, in a way, of course, it's easy to say that uh, uh, because this is what nerves do for you, and this, it does very much to your voice. Yeah. Destroys very much the natural tone of your voice. Um, you look up, and it's very, very hard when a person looks up and the tone of their voice is destroyed. Uh, so that, um, you see, what you had to say uh, was good. Um, yes, as always. But um, I, I think it, it wouldn't be easy to listen for long, you see. Um, if you could cultivate uh, uh, looking... Uh, at folks a little more. I don't know whether you could do that, whether that would completely finish you. Would it? I think perhaps if one got more confidence, I think one could. Yeah. But I've never, I suppose it's the... Um, did you find that it was clear? 
I think diction, what would you say about this? I think diction, yes, but I think the tone is not easy. It's not easy. It's, it's, um, it's not monotonous, but it's, it's got a certain... Yes, it, again, it's the same problem. It would be very difficult to listen for long. It's voice production you would need. Mm. <laughs> Well, you see, much of our problems go down to inhibition or some kind of bondage, you know, uh, physically, I mean, psychologically. And breathing, and of course, this is what yogi, not yogi bear, but uh, or yoga and uh, so on, what, what uh, uh, the yogi teacher um, actually uh, um, is putting over. It's just it's the, whole, it's the whole question of breathing. And of course, this is why people have actual so-called spiritual experiences sheerly through breathing. Because as people, very much depends upon our breathing. Most extraordinary. So I would say that um, uh, in one way, yes, of course, that's just purely on the human level. It would help you, uh, I think, uh, there. What are, what are others? Can I make a comment? Yes. Yes. Uh, there didn't seem to be a very great variety of movement in the lips. Obviously, you could say two. Mm. It's different to say uh, one. Or <laughs> <laughs> the movement of the lips. Uh, yes. But this is the same problem. Same problem, you see. Because many men don't use their lips. It's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Stiff upper lip and all that kind of thing. It's a fact, I'm afraid. Um, There's one little point, and that is that uh, the Ken has a fascinating vibration of his toes. As he walks to and fro, he was wearing sandals, and it was rather <laughs> 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 But it all goes back to Ken's <clears throat> basic yeah. Yes, well now, we smile about this, but you see, the reason we're asked, we can't ask everybody, even if we have another time. Uh, we're, what we want to do is to take each of these things and learn from them, you see, uh, lessons for everybody. Now, Ken, in, with Ken, as with many others, but, but uh, very clear with Ken, um, is the whole problem of nervousness and what it does to a person, to their, uh, their very stance, the way they stand, to their voice, uh, to their lips, uh, you see, to pretty many, and yet the message, you see, was good. Message good, there's good stuff there. Uh, Well, I know something about that, perspiring, of course, in preaching. <laughs> well, you just have... Yeah, it does. Oh, that's why I, I, of course, drip, you see, on the Sunday or other time. That's why I take off my jacket, because before I used to do that, I used to absolutely run, and I used to think, well, perhaps this is worse for people watching than if I were to take off my jacket and at least be a little cooler. And in the actual gathering, yes. you often have to listen very carefully. Yeah. That's what he's always, always worth listening to. 
Yes, especially when the room is full. Of yes, the it is true. It's very hard sometimes to hear Ken, even when you announce a hymn. Just a little more volume would, would do great to help. It seems to me as though I speak loudly, but it doesn't seem to carry. I suppose it's because it, I haven't got the wherewithal to hurt. Yes, yes, it's breathing. Breathing is the problem, but it's not only breathing, of course, it is lips as well. Yes. 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 You see, um, a person who is an absolutely marvelous preacher might get away with looking up steadfastly into heaven, uh, you know, and preaching. But uh, if we're not, I, I think it is much easier. It's com a question of communication. If you look at people, there, you, you, there is just that little bit more communication. Yeah. And I think uh, that would help greatly if, we, if you were able to look at us a little more. Yes, yes. That's the same with Andy the other day. You see, um, uh, a, a little on into your message, um, you, you relaxed a bit more, looked at us, and, and it was a bit better. But um, I think uh, we, need, you, we need help. Yes. 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 One other point, also on this matter, uh, Ken. Uh, try and remember this, uh, or everybody. Um, when you make reference to something, because when you've not got much time, you you. It's obvious you can't uh, explain everything. But for instance, when you said about the river coming down and turning, uh, I can't remember how you said it, about the sea. You said it... Um, may, may, yes, you see, I think that needs explaining. I mean, supposing I, I, I don't know what sea you're talking about. Do you, you see what I mean? And to say that there will be fish in it, I might well think, but there are always fish in the sea. You see? Now, this is because we know that most people know what, actually understand what we're referring to. But if from Psalm 46, uh, you wouldn't quite understand that. If you just said about the Dead Sea, now the Dead Sea is absolutely dead. There's not a thing in it that lives. And there's very little real vegetation in one sense around uh, because of the salt. Um, and the wonderful thing is that when this river hits it, meets it, it, it turns the whole thing into life. Then I think we'd understand. We understood what you meant, but I think it's a point, uh, you know. Okay. One other little practical one. He said Psalm 64, verse 5, yeah. says the river of God is full of water. 65, verse 9. Yeah. It's the wrong psalm. Moses spent 40 years in the backside of the desert, not 20. <laughs> Never mind, your nerves have done more to you than you realise. Um, but let's take a, 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 a another John. You haven't spoken before, have you, John? He's a prodigal son. John, please tell me. <laughs> 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 
Right, I've always um, also been asked to speak from the prodigal son. Um, as you know, this is found in Luke 15. I'm not going to read it because of the shortage of time. I would first of all like us to see this parable which Jesus told in the context of the other two in the same chapter. That is the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. And um, Luke puts these three together in the same chapter. So we have the lost sheep, a sheep which was originally a member of the fold, but then um, for some reason um, went astray and was lost. And then we have the lost coin, the coin which was originally in the possession of the um, owner of the house, but then she lost it. And then we have the lost son. Originally he was a member of the household, but then he decided he wanted to go his own way. So first of all, I think we can see this story that Jesus told um, relating to someone who has had an experience with God, someone who has become a Christian, but then they have gone away from God. And I think we see this in the New Testament. We see it is possible for someone to be born again of God's Spirit, to receive the divine nature in one, but then it's possible for that person to deliberately say no to what is of God in them and um, to live according to the flesh. And I think we can also link this up um, with the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And in the Old Testament, we continually see how they disobey God. Again and again, they go away from God, but we see this picture of God waiting for them. And there's a very similar picture to the one Jesus paints in this story in Isaiah chapter 30. So perhaps we could just look at that. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15 to 18. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. But ye said, No, for we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall ye flee. And we will ride upon the swift. Therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one. At the rebuke of five shall ye flee. Till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain. And as an ensign on a hill. And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exhorted, that he may have mercy upon you. And just to emphasize verse 18 again, this tremendous picture of God waiting. Here's Israel deciding they don't want to go God's way, they want to go their own way. But here we have the picture of God waiting, waiting to be gracious unto them. And I know we know similar examples of people who perhaps have become Christians or for some, for one reason or another, have gone away from God. And there was an example of this at school the other day. Um, two of the Christian girls came up to us. They were very concerned because um, a few years ago, one of the girls in the school became a Christian. And it seemed she was really going on with the Lord. And then she started to go away. And sometimes she says some things now even against the Lord. 
But these two came to us, they were very concerned, and they said, well, what can we do? What can we do? And we said, well, we pointed her to this story of the prodigal son, and we said, we must wait and pray. And they said, well, can't we do something? And we said, well, if God definitely gives you something to speak to that person, then yes. But otherwise, just to show them normal love and concern, and just to see this picture of how God is waiting for that person, waiting for that person to come to their senses, waiting to kill the fatted calf, waiting with the ring, and waiting with the robe. And perhaps just to look at Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 12 in connection with this, again, this time it's in connection with the children of Israel again, but um, to see this picture of God waiting, his gracious waiting, and calling his people back. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward, toward the north, and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. So here again we see this picture of God saying, if you return to me, I will be merciful. And how that person also has to come to the point where they acknowledge their sin. And in the prodigal son, he had to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before earth. And he goes on. And then secondly, um, I think the word of God is tremendously flexible and the Lord can apply it in different situations. And often, as you know, this is used when speaking to unsaved people. And I remember when Arthur Wallace was here, he spoke on a Sunday evening, and he told that terrific story. I can't um, remember the exact names of the characters. I think it was Uncle Bill and Jack. And it was Jack's 21st birthday, and Uncle Bill gave him um, um, a chest of drawers. and um, Sorry, a bureau. And in the bureau was an envelope. And when Jack looked at the em envelope, Uncle Jack had written something on it. It said, for me to live is Christ. And underneath it wanted him to fill in what um, for him to live was for. And he thought to himself, well, it certainly isn't Christ. And he put down pleasure. And then the years went by, Jack went into business, but then things started to fall down. The foundation of his life started to crack. And he came to that point of despair and to that place where he turned to God. And sometimes I think God can apply this to such people. I think perhaps of my own brother, someone who's never become a Christian, but he came to Holford House once, and there was a time when he was thinking about things of God, but it seems at the moment he's said a deliberate, no, I don't want it. And, well, what can I do in this situation? I think I must pray and look to God. He's waiting, this gracious way he is waiting. And I think what comes through in these three stories is heaven's reaction when someone does turn. Whether it's a Christian or whether it's someone who doesn't know God, when they turn from their proud way and they humble themselves and they turn to God. And you see this tremendous joy there is in heaven. And you get this pictured in the merrymaking and in the party which we see at the end of the prodigal son.
made the same mistake as Bob in putting your notes on the table. Yeah, you had two sets of notes, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but the ones were blowing away, and there were the others. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they weren't his notes. He had, he had, to, keep my place. He had two lots of paper. Well, now, please remember this. I have learnt this from bitter experience, that when you've got markers in your Bible, and you take them out, put them in the back of your Bible. Because you will find that if you get a draft or wind or suddenly the doors open and they blow up, everyone goes rushing. They think they know your notes and you've lost your message, you know. And you find there's such a kerfuffle, it can throw you off because no one's listening. So remember that, little one. Yes, now, what do you have you to say about... The, hmm? Yes, addiction is good. One thing that um, I find does... Uh, distract a little, John, and that was your hands. Yes. Uh, I don't really know how you get through on this, but uh, I forget when it was, but on some other occasion, you had actually got them in a very saintly way, uh, like that. We did deceive uh, You mean oh. unnecessary hand action? Well, not unnecessary hand action, no. I would say that you look very much like one of those classic saints from the Dark Ages, you know, um, looking upwards. So I, I think you, you, you've got to watch your hands. What you're going to do with them, I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, when you're speaking, it, it is a problem. And if you become conscious of your hands, you don't know where to put them. They seem to be terribly ungainly things. One little thing you can do without being rigid. I mean, you'll find your own way with the Lord, but sometimes it helps just to hold the edge or yes. one edge of the book rest, or perhaps to rest the other on your Bible. Uh, yes. I, th I think you do need uh, to, to watch that with your hands because uh, um, it's, it's uh, a bit too uh, extreme um, uh, a mannerism. I don't think it matters to express your hands, um, uh, use your hands, so long as you are using them. But this was not using them, it was here nearly the whole time, either this or this, you see, or this. And um, it, um, when it's too much, I think it's uh, a little, it's a little uh, un uh, odd, you see. Maybe hold your Bible with your Possibly, yes, or the side you may find easier. Till you've got over this problem. Yes, you do. Yes, yes. A little more mobility with your feet, John, would be helpful. You didn't move your feet the whole time. They were absolutely stuck in the same places. And uh, I think perhaps just a little movement occasionally. May help you, may help you, yes, it, it's true. Um, to Matt, abrupt. What I would have loved it, uh, is, John, if you'd have just read uh, that little bit in the story, after what you said, it would have just somehow gathered it up. Uh, was, was it not fitting that we should rejoice? For this, my son was lost and is found, was dead and is alive. That would have somehow just gathered it and, uh, you know. Yes. Anything else? The, the voice was uh, sort of high. Uh, uh, I found it in little places. Yes. I found the same. In places, it was a little sort of uh, high. Yes. 
Well, that's breathing again, of course. Not all that much wrong with the voice. No, I, I must say, I, I wouldn't have said there was anything wrong with the voice, or diction, diction was clear. No, that, that was very Yes, clear. yes. That occasion on one or two words is Israel. Yes, yes, you want to get to a, yes, or A's. This is a very common mistake with people, A's and O's, ow. Not you, but uh, people do, uh, even Mr Heath, our Prime Minister, says now, instead of now. So uh, it is... Uh, a problem. Yes. Well, that's all right, as long as he's giving something <laughs> of value. But uh, anything else that anyone has to say here? This connection. Well, then I think we ought to ask um, uh, you, Alan. Can you? Have you got anything? No, you, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Psalm 27, verse... Oh, the ledge is not big enough. The Bible's too fat. Psalm 27, verse 1. Great minds think alike. Um, reading from the Revised Standard Version. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Well, I think we can say that this and all the Psalms uh, speak to us of the Lord Jesus Christ, our all in all. And in this Psalm, indeed as in many of the 73 Psalms that are attributed to David in the book of Psalms, he affirms his trust in the Lord. Psalm 27 undoubtedly came about through David's own experiences before he was anointed king, when he was in hiding in the caves in the wilderness from King Saul, um, who sought his life because he was jealous of David. And we would read of this in 1 Samuel 18 to 23. Um, in the darkness of the caves, David knew the Lord as his light, his hope, or his way. So it can be with believers. In our moments of despair and gloom, when everything seems against us, we can lift our heart to the Lord and know him as our light, our hope, our way. He, by his Holy Spirit, if we trust him, will shine away through for us and lift us above our circumstances. Um, David, as a repentant sinner, knew also the Lord as his salvation, his saviour. And David affirms this in a definite way. The Lord is not was, not will be, but he is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Though his foes were many at the time, David also knew the Lord as his stronghold, or if you like, refuge. Um, 
by the way, a stronghold can be described as a fenced place cut off, a place of safety surrounded by a wall built of stone and boulders. And uh, David felt secure in something like that, but he's in, in the wilderness, in the caves and that. And uh, so we too can surely know the same assurance of security and safety if we put our trust in the Lord. Why should be afraid? Why should we be afraid of our foes, that terrible neighbour or that horrible man at the work, if we, like David, will only trust in the Lord and know him as our Saviour, our all in all? In another of his Psalms, 61, shall we turn to it, verse 3. Um, David says of the Lord for thou art my refuge a strong tower against the enemy and the same thought is also in Nahum 1 7 if we turn to that uh, Bob referred to this but he didn't uh, uh, turn to it Nahum 1.7, it's between Micah and Habakkuk, if you can't find it. And there we, we say, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Well, in conclusion, we can say, with the psalmist, as in Psalm 118, and verse 6, with the Lord on my side, I do not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side to help me. Or put more simply, we can say, I am a child of the living God. Why should I be fearful of mortal man? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom? Shall I be afraid? Praise his name. And just by way of a commercial, if we do play that birthday thing tonight, it goes true. <laughs> well, I think for one thing, some, you need some help with your notes. Uh, I don't know... Whether you, were you having any difficulty reading them, or was it just your nerves? Oh, I see. Yes. Uh, because, you see, here is the whole problem of notes. If your notes are not really clearly laid out, because I, were you reading everything you said? Or were they just headings? Well, I've written them out in full. But I right. No. But, you see, um, if you've read out, uh, if you've um, written out, in full, what you're going to say, then it's better, I think, to put your Bible here and put the notes here and read them. You know, even people may not even know you are reading, but you think. But don't ever make a compromise. Uh, don't write out your notes in full and then try to, to speak as if they're headings, because you will get into a mess. 
It always happens. Uh, when you've looked up, you're speaking, then you've got to look down, then you've got to find where is the uh, place you stopped. And for a while you have to read, and people can't understand what, quite what's happening. Especially if you have troubles uh, also with glasses, you know, and so on, in this way. I think that's a big point to make. Any other? Yeah, just again on the notes, <clears throat> not only Alan, but quite a number have made this mistake. It, it just shows how we don't listen. Um, we've said this over and over again, but folk have come, they've plopped their Bible on the book rest and then put slithery notes on top of the Bible, and even before they've begun to speak, it happened with Alan, even before they've begun to speak, their notes are slithering down the Bible. So you've got to make up your mind where you're going to put your notes. Either you're going to stand and hold your notes in the Bible, or you're going to stand with your Bible and put your notes on the book rest. You've got to be clear, uh, even before you speak, just what you're going to do. Yes. Uh, this is a dreadful uh, lecture as you must all now have the greatest sympathy if I bring it up, that it would be good to invest in a new one. Uh, but, um, but the point is that um, I think it's good for us, at least if ever we ever had training sessions, to always use this dreadful thing, because believe me, um, you will have far worse than this. I have been in the most terrible things. Some things are like that, so that everybody sees everything, and uh, uh, and so on. And some uh, are not even that. You just have a flat pulpit edge. Yes. So I think it is good uh, to get used uh, to this. And this is why, may I say it again, using notes, have concise uh, headings and subheadings, and uh, don't use flimsy paper and don't use card. Uh, use something that is stiff and yet not as stiff as card. And you'll be greatly helped. Anything else? I'd just like to ask, on this question of introduction, yeah? um, is it always good to read your passage first and then go on with an introduction? Or do you do sort of an introduction and, and then, then read the passage? I think that must depend very much on the person who's speaking. Um, some preachers who are very gifted always begin very dramatically. Uh, F.B. Meyer always began in classic uh, style. You know, he would ask a question. You see, always. He nearly always began like that. He would ask some question which gripped everybody, you see, and then he would say a few words and then he would read the scripture. And of course he caught everybody, you see, everyone was absolutely riveted from the start. Uh, others, of course, uh, uh, will uh, tell a story or say something, give a fact, you see, and so on. I don't know, I often read, uh, myself, I often read the word uh, clearly uh, first, you see, and then say something. I, I, I don't think you could put a law for the way you begin. If the Lord gave Alan something for a contribution for, you know, to during the time, yeah. it would be quite possible for him to read it, wouldn't it? Yes, there's yes, that there's nothing wrong in reading something. There are those who feel that if you read something, it's obviously not inspired. But of course, this is nonsense. 
Holy Spirit is just as able to inspire you in writing uh, a, a few things as to inspire you there and then uh, at the point. I think if the higher thing is to be able to, to, to just speak from the heart, but we have to also say that some can't do that. On the other hand, there is nothing more terrible than someone standing up and reading out in a flat voice uh, some uh, sort of word, you know, which is just awful. Generally speaking, in an open time, everything's got to blend, you know, and therefore we've all got to move, be flexible, moving with the Lord. Yes? Yes, there were many gaps between the statements. Yes, that that made it difficult. Mm. Mm. Uh, I feel a bit sorry for various mortal men, the neighbours, Oh, I see, yes. So you, you, when you have one side, you have it over. Yes. Well, sounds possibility anyway. Well, now uh, we're, we're moving on, so we'll just ask one or two more, and then I think we'll have to, and I think the best thing to do is if you're happy, we'll have another evening. Um, I'd, it'll have to be perhaps next Wednesday for those who manage it. Uh, be the only way that we could um, uh, go on, but uh, 